was probably like five or six years ago that I fully came to terms with the fact that I had some body dysmorphia growing up. I didn't think I did because I was healthier than than the other dancers around me. And it didn't feel like I had the same pressures. On, I mean, I've, I've always been a little bit more resilient personality-wise. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't take any of that peer pressure. I was like, ah, you know, like, I'm the way I am because I'm really strong. So, like, that's fine. But like, your self-pressure. Yeah, I exactly. And so right? it took such a long time for me to look back and go, oh, I had a really messed up idea of my body. Because I'll look at pictures of myself and be like, why did I think that I was so much bigger than everybody else? Even though I knew I was like, but I'm not big. You know, I was that person being like, well, I know I'm not fat, but I'm the fattest one in the room. And neither of those things were true. Like, I was totally fine. And it's weird to look back at that and go, oh, I actually did have some body dysmorphia and I thought it was something good. Well, and then there's that next step. Like, I'm... I may be the fattest one in the room or she may be the fattest one in the room and she is fucking beautiful, mm-hmm. right? It's changing how we actually think about ourselves right. and how we think about the bodies of the women around us mm-hmm. so that we can be united in this idea that we're all worthy, we're all capable and we're all ready. Yeah. And that is a beautiful thing. You have found the place to be. This is the Self-Love Peddler Show. I'm Sophie McCallum, your personal self-love peddler. Please leave the single narrative, airbrushed, beauty bot images you have been forced fed at the door. Here we examine our relationship with our bodies and the many shapes and nuances our bodies have. The only way to end women's cycle of body shaming, judgment, and self-loathing is through a common pact and plan to change the way we collectively think about our bodies and the bodies of those around us. Welcome to the journey. Welcome back. Welcome. I'm here with Dr. Megan Wise, a physical therapist. Megan works with Broadway performers to help them return to stage better than ever. And thank you for being here, Megan. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. Me and too. Um, you're here because of this beautiful business that you have built. And talk to me about how you got to where you are today. So I grew up as a ballet dancer. And when I was 16, I had a really bad ankle injury that took me out. I had to stop dancing. And unfortunately, um, where I lived, there was not very good medical attention for people like me because they were like, oh, you're just like some 16-year-old girl. You're fine. Um, But, you know, I was having a hard time doing everything. And when I finally got to a PT, uh, it was one of those like eye-opening experiences to realize like there is a side of medicine that is about movement as medicine, not just like what can we do to you or at you, but how can you be an active participant in your own care? And that was huge for me. And as a dancer, especially, um, there was this feeling of like my body is my tool and that's how I do things. So to have like an entire side of medicine that also did that was like, I need to be doing this. And on top of that, the information I got in it was like, oh, my God, if other dancers had this same information, maybe we wouldn't be hurting ourselves all the time. Yeah. So for me, it was really empowering and it made me realize like someone needs to go back. Someone needs to be the person that I needed when I was younger. And so I went like, well, I guess it has to be me. And so I I went through the whole um, PT curriculum, became a doctor in it. 
in order to work with performers so that I wasn't just fixing their boo-boos, their problems after the fact. It was really trying to train them from the get-go so they had a better relationship with their bodies and a better relationship with their health instead of thinking that they were just a tool for a craft. And how much of helping them is emotional work? Um, Almost all of it. If I'm being honest. Um, so yeah, there's so much physical and emotional and and it, you can't really separate the two. I mean, I tend to work with my performers and, and make a lot of comments about um, you can't separate your physical body from like the rest of you. You're one, one thing. And so we end up kind of working through a lot of that together. I mean, I it, it's kind of a joke sometimes, especially backstage of like, my table is like the therapy table of like any kind of therapy. Um, so there's, there's a lot of deep stuff that ends up going on without people realizing that's what they were signing up for. Mm. Um, especially since so many performers come to me and they already have this idea of like they're broken or they're messed up or their body's betraying them or they're too old or they don't have the right one. And there's so many issues there that are built into you from a very young age as a dancer, mm -hmm. that by the time they come to me, it's like I'm the first person to be like, no, this is the way you're supposed to be. It's doing what it's supposed to be doing. And it has the ability to heal on its own. And it has the ability to learn and get better. So you're doing okay. So it's a really fun environment to be there. Yeah. I am thrilled to introduce you to my newest course, Mastering Your Love Centers Through Conscious, Compassionate Self-Love. Your love centers are the main areas in your life that you put your energy into. Our goal together is to encompass these centers with conscious, compassionate self-love so that this boundless and self-expanding love can grow into the life we have always known we were meant to live. Someone once asked me, what are you waiting for? This one question sparked a light in my soul. At the time, I was living unconsciously, without intention, without awareness, without love or balance. Bringing conscious, compassionate self-love to our love centers allows us to identify where we are placing our energy and where we need or want fulfillment. Now I ask you, what are you waiting for? Join me. Join me inside of Mastering Your Love Centers Through Conscious, Compassionate Self-Love. What's the most common kind of limiting belief that you hear these dancers say? Um, a lot of it's around age, actually. So many people think like, oh, well, now I'm, I'm at that age now. And it's like, what age is that? Because mm. they're saying it like at like 22, 23 sometimes. <laughs> yeah, it's like to be a 30 year old and be a performing artist. Oh, my God. And you're like, so and most of the ones that are big names and are really good at what they do, they're over the age of 30. Right. They got there because they did everything they needed to do to get there. You shouldn't peak at 16, but there's still this Those who belief. do, it's generally not a very good thing. Exactly. Like sort technically of, I peaked at 16. Like, that's the like, where are they now? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Programs on yeah, late at night. It's like, that's not what you're supposed to do. It's you supposed can to carry with you. peak at 16 at something, mm -hmm. but then what's your next peak, right? You right. know, like, what's and some point? of us... <clears throat> in the room, maybe me, like n never really peaked. Like I just sort of like kept going and going and going. And like, that could be my story. Mm -hmm. Like just no peak, just a journey. Right. That's we the go. dream. Yeah. And, yeah. And like, and looking at the journey as the peak, right? Mm -hmm. Like how much now that's sort of how I see life. Like what can I pick up along the way? And um, I'm curious when you work with people, what um, do you ever see the, or when you see 
the shift in the people with whom you work, like when their mindset starts to affect their physical form and you mm -hmm. get that like mind, heart, action, connection. Mm -hmm. Does that happen much? And what does it look like? Um, well, there's there's like the negative side of that of sometimes they come to me already there. And it still surprises me when I've never met someone in the first five minutes of us talking. They're already like, well, it's because this is bad. And I have that. And they're already in that like story story. Yeah. And they're willing to tell me that. Like I've seen people, it's within two minutes of talking to them. And they're like, I just feel so fragile. And I'm like, oh, this got heavy real quick. Um, and it happens suddenly for me. And so I'm like, okay, we have to shift and let's figure out a way to get you to feel powerful then. And that's kind of the goal of the session. But um, I try to get everyone to that aha moment is what I call it, where they finally, like, it clicks, where they're like, oh, I can do this. Mm. Oh, this is normal. Oh, I'm doing okay. Oh, this is, maybe I was doing it wrong before, or maybe I just needed to get through this experience to then find this other new, better way of doing something. So I feel like I try to get everyone there. And I tend to call it the aha moment where it's like you can see the click where they're suddenly like in their body. Mm -hmm. They're moving, but it's coming from a place of like they actually trust it now. And I've I've seen that aha moment with my clients and also I've had them myself. Yeah. And I think it is an aha moment because it's not it's it's almost like it's not something that you you're all of a sudden it is something you're all of a sudden realizing. But at the same time, it's something you're that it was like all, always there. Yeah, you're coming back home. Right, yeah, you're yeah. coming back home and you're like, it, it's like you got lost and you started to tell yourself all this nonsense that isn't real. For a lot of women, it's like, if I only could lose weight, then I would X, you know? Like, it's like realizing that you've been on this, like really, this, this journey that's been full of struggle. And like, now you get to come back to like that pure state that we're all born into you know, and like, oh, right. I am just as I'm meant to be. I, as you say, I can, like, that's a big one. Mm -hmm. Sorry, mom, if you're listening, but I want to get, I can tattooed on my right hand. I have a lot of <laughs> tattoos. She doesn't like any of them, but I want to get, I can tattooed on my knuckles at some point. I actually have certain work milestones that when I meet them, I'm going to get different tattoos, but now I'm going to get a lot of pushback if they're listening to this <laughs> podcast, but I can is one I want to get just because like you can, you can. And mm -hmm. like, I, a lot of people are born with that I can spirit and it slowly dwindles away. And it's aha because it's like, oh, yeah, back to this place. I get to sh I get to shed all this other stuff and I get to move forward into that like future moment that I can see. Mm -hmm. So you must really see that with your. Oh, yeah. Like, in the moment. Yeah. So exciting. I get to see it in the moment. But then also after after we're done with the rehab phase and they're maybe out in the world doing awesome things, I get to see them when they're performing and going like, oh, they, they did it again, but on their own. That's really cool. Mm -hmm. To me, that's the goal. I don't want to have to see someone on my table again. I want them to have the tools to then keep growing without needing someone else to do it for Absolutely. them. Absolutely. Well, in that, you're very much like coaching. Like, mm -hmm. like I want to get the woman you are today and the woman of your dreams to unite and get on with it. And then I'll see you later. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I joke with patients all the time. I'm like, I never want to see you again unless right. it's like at the bar. Yeah, like, exactly. We can hang out, have a drink or something. Like, I don't want to see you on my table. I'll meet you for dinner, but yeah. Yeah. You, yeah. <laughs> That's it. Um, so how has your relationship with your body kind of enhanced your professional work? 
Um, so I, because I have such a long history of my own injuries, um, and I do have hypermobility syndrome, so it's not as severe as Ehlers-Danlos, where things are like everything feels like it's falling apart, but I do have a lot of issues with that. I'm not um, familiar with what that is. Yeah, so hypermobility syndrome is still fairly new in the research, but it is something where your connective tissue is actually a little more lax. And so you, some people can have it in only a couple of joints. Some people will have it in multiples. And then when you get to the spectrum that's more Ehlers-Danlos, that also includes like issues with your vision, issues with your digestive tract. Like every bit of connective tissue is just a little looser than it probably should be. And so it can create other issues. Is your connective tissue and your fascia the same thing? It's Your fascia is kind of, it's a part of your connective tissue. So this is includes like muscles, ligaments, tendons, all of that, the, the softer tissues. So are that you move. very, very flexible? Is yes. that part of it? Yes. And so sometimes people who are extremely flexible, which you would see, of course, in gymnasts and dancers, those mm -hmm. are going to be the ones that are, they seem to look better in that um, they're actually more hypermobile. So their joints aren't necessarily as safe in those positions, but they can do it without any problems. Wow. And some people are hypermobile, but they always feel really restricted and not flexible because their muscles are actually in spasm to try to prevent them from them. dislocating all the time and that kind of thing. So we kind of see a spectrum there. Um, I'm somewhere kind of in the middle where it's like I've always – it's very easy for me to like – go into any position. Like I could still today and I do not dance anymore. I am not warm. I could drop into a split easily. Like it's, it has nothing to do with me being skilled at mm -hmm. it. It's just my body is okay with being a little overstretched all the time. And because of that, I kind of know the struggle of always having to like keep up with it. And that can feel really challenging to people. People feel like, um, yeah, I, I feel like once I get to a milestone, it should be easy and I shouldn't have to work at it anymore and it should just flow. But you're kind of always having to work on things. And in terms of my physical health, that has always been a challenge for me of like finding the thing that works for me, um, maintaining strength, maintaining feeling good in my body and still feeling like I can do whatever I want to tomorrow because I didn't do something stupid to it today. And um, and also not giving up on it because mm -hmm. that's that doesn't get us anywhere. Um, so that I bring kind of into my practice quite often because most people come to me because they know I do get it. I can look at them and go, yeah, I, I understand what it takes not only as a performer but as someone who maybe doesn't always trust your body mm -hmm. and feels like it's working against you. Sometimes feeling trapped in it, which is really not fun. And as someone who has chronic pain, which I do have chronic pain, I get that end of it because that can take over every element of your day, not just physical, but mental and emotional and your relationships and how you sleep and all of that. So the chronic pain part for me is something that I've had to do the journey. So I know there's many ways of doing it. And um, I try to bring that to people who come with me. Like, you know, there's always another way that you can do it. It might not be the way someone else has rehabbed or improved, but there is a way for you to do it, mm -hmm. and we will find it together. And do you deal with a lot of body image issues? I know you talked about like being too old, and but like just the sort of dysmorphia of the dancer. Yes, yeah, that's a really common issue. It's almost cliche, yeah, um, which. Really, it shouldn't be because it makes you feel like you don't have to attend to it as much when it's that cliche. But um, growing up in ballet, my dance teacher did not want any of that 
in her studio. And so where did was, you grow up? I grew up in Florida. Okay. And um, the dance teacher who came in, she was a professional. She had had her own history of terrible things happen to her. And she just wanted dancers who understood the technique and liked it. She didn't want to make professionals. She didn't want she didn't want weigh-ins. She didn't want measurements. She was like, she just wanted people to dance. Mm. And so she had really high quality dancers. But unfortunately, when you get good enough, you go out into other studios and you try other things. And it was still kind of coming into the studio of you needed to be thin. And I had so many friends who had major eating disorders. And it was like a normal thing for us to see that and be like, oh, yeah. Is that changing at all? I don't feel like it is, to be honest. Interesting. Because it is changing in pop culture. Yes. Absolutely changing. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's so funny. There's still this like backlash of like the body positivity, even the bo- body neutrality movement is creating this unhealthy acceptance of, you know, it's like, like you have to be super, th- if you're not thin, you're not healthy, mm-hmm. right? And yet like if you look at like, mental illness and you look at like all of the pain and suffering that people who are suffering with body image issues are going through it's like I I just don't see how how telling them that they're beautiful as they are and finding beauty in different shapes and forms is doing anyone a disservice right like my feeling is even if you are unhealthily obese right you're at a point where if you don't lose weight you will minimize your lifespan. You will be higher risk for disease. Saying to yourself, I am beautiful and I'm just as I am meant to be today, as I am, frees up all of that energy that people of all different shapes and sizes, professions, a lot of very thin dancers say to themselves, you're too thin, you're not good enough. That like heavy, toxic decay of the soul Mm -hmm. that we, when we don't exercise self-love, happens like if you can take all of that energy and instead put it towards loving yourself you got a much better bet at leading a healthy lifestyle yeah because if you think of yourself as a piece of crap you're you're not likely going to find a motivation for change Mm -hmm. you know positive thoughtful loving evolution right which is something that is very freeing right you know so let alone when you have women the body, I suffered from body dysmorphia for many, 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 many years. And um, I wish I could get all that energy back mm-hmm. and put it towards helping others. Right. <laughs> right. Well, that's what's so really, it's it's a really weird thing because it was probably like five or six years ago that I fully came to terms with the fact that I had some body dysmorphia growing up. I didn't think I did because I was healthier than than the other dancers around me. And it didn't feel like, I had the same pressures. On, I mean, I've, I've always been a little bit more resilient personality-wise. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't take any of that peer pressure. I was like, ah, you know, like, I'm the way I am because I'm really strong. So, like, that's fine. But like, your I, self-pressure. Yeah, I, exactly. And so right? it took such a long time for me to look back and go, oh, I had a really messed up idea of my body. Because I'll look at pictures of myself and be like, why did I think that I was so much bigger than everybody else? Even though I knew I was like, but I'm not big. You know, I was that person being like, well, I know I'm not fat, but I'm the fattest one in the room. And neither of those things were true. Like, I was totally fine. And it's weird to look back at that and go, oh, I actually did have some body dysmorphia. And I thought it was something good. Well, and then there's that next step. Like, I'm... I may be the fattest one in the room, or she may be 
the fattest one in the room. And she is fucking beautiful. Mm-hmm. Right? It's changing how we actually think about ourselves right. and how we think about the bodies of the women around us mm-hmm. so that we can be united in this idea that we're all worthy, we're all capable, and we're all ready. Yeah. And that is a beautiful thing. Yeah. And it sounds like the work that you're doing, um, it sounds like the work that you're doing is helping towards that goal of being able to see one's like inner beauty and show up for yourself. Yeah. Yeah, that's like you already have it inside you, what you need. You just have to get back to it. Yeah. And I find that we spend so much time invested in what other people think and what external cues are out there instead of realizing how good we have it and how much we can still improve and learn and grow and Mm -hmm. progress just by ourselves. Absolutely. Well, thank you. And thank you for talking about that aha moment and for all that you do to get people there. Of course. So keep doing service. You're amazing. Thank you. Thank you. If you are craving to go deeper on your self-love and body love journey, please join me inside my private Facebook group, The Self-Love Shack. We meet once a week to continue our discussions and go deeper. You can also check out my self-love courses and coaching options at selflovepeddler.com. Follow the link in the show description for more details. I leave you with this. The only way to end women's cycle of body shaming, judgment, and self-loathing is through a common pact and plan to change the way we collectively think about our bodies and the bodies of those around us. Sending you peace.